0: Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom.
1: We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share.
0: Hi friends, this is Corey. Um, I just wanted to pop on and say that when we recorded this episode with James, we intended it to be a um, our episode 23, and there are quite a few jokes that we've made in the episode about it being episode 23. However, um, since recording it, we res- uh, arranged our Um, publishing calendar, and this is no longer episode 23. So it is um, season two, episode two, and um, we're very happy that you're here with us, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. It is fantastic. So without further ado, welcome to season two, episode two.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Modern Ancestral Mamas, with Corey from For Nutrients Sake and Christine from Nourish the Littles. And this is episode 23. And we are interviewing James Berry from Eat Pluck. And before we start, we just wanna do a quick introduction of James. Um, James is a chef and the founder of Eat Pluck. He's been in the ancestral wellness space for a while. His wife is also an NTP and he has 16 plus years in the culinary field and he started out as a private chef cooking for some pretty big names such as Tom Cruise, Mariska Hargitay, uh, Gerard Butler, Barbara Streisand. I mean, he's got a long list. (laughs) Um, Most recently, James launched his first functional food product and that's how Corey and I know him through... This product called Pluck, and it's an organ meat based seasoning. It's the first of its kind on the market, and it is amazingly easy and a delicious way for people to get organ meats into their diet. And we're definitely going to talk about that more in the show. Uh, James is also a published cookbook author, and he co authored the recipes in Margaret Floyd's book, Eat Naked and co-authored the follow-up cookbook, The Naked Foods Cookbook. And, oh my goodness, geez, James, he most recently co-authored the recipes in Dr. Alejandro Hunger's book, Clean 7. So without further ado, we want to introduce James to the show. Go ahead, James. Say something.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I am so psyched that I am on episode 23 because you know... Who used to wear the twenty number twenty three in their jersey? That's a big deal.
0: No,
2: Michael Jordan. Oh. you got you lived in Chicago, Christine. What's going on here? You lived in Chicago.
1: But that does, I don't necessarily follow sports.
2: I don't. Honestly, you know what's funny? I knew
1: the Cubs won the World <laughs> Series, but that's about
2: it. I don't necessarily follow sports either, but I I just I watched a really great documentary with him, and I'm I just I just he changed the whole he he changed that you know just the whole game and i just i admire him for that but yes jersey number 23 and lebron james is also number 23 so well this is good i feel like i'm in good company here with the number 23 if you are following numerology
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> um i think basketball's fairly boring so <laughs>
1: Not as boring as baseball,
2: okay? No,
0: I will hundred percent go to a baseball game over a basketball game any time, Are
2: you did serious? You... Yes. Did either of you play sports growing up? No. Come yes, you on, did. <laughs> nothing. Not even. Yes, standing? I was an.
1: I was an athlete. However, it had nothing to do with balls. <laughs>
2: What, is, what kind of athlete were you, runner? I mean, what is that? She swam. Okay, you I swim. was a
1: synchronized swimmer. Okay, James.
2: <laughs> I thought that was only on Saturday Night Live. Is that a real thing? <laughs> she was no, a professional.
1: in fact, I was a professional synchronized swimmer for a few years in wow. my day. I swam for SeaWorld and then the Aqualilies.
0: If that's wow. not the coolest thing, seriously.
2: That's pretty cool. You, yeah. you should be wearing that like a badge that you I were like, like, SeaWorld? I agree.
1: That's so- I, Yeah, actually SeaWorld was a lot of fun. I think that's probably cooler than the Aqua Lilies. But the Aqua Lilies do music videos now, and they're on TV shows. And I didn't get to do any of those cool things. But some of my friends got to be on Pirates of the Caribbean and, I don't know, do music videos for oh, really famous people, rappers that I don't even know who they are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow, I love learning all these backstories here. You guys have some kind of fun, racy backstories. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: So (laughs) Uh, uh, back on track here, we're going to start or every episode, we like to start with a little question that we'll all answer um, that is related to the topic of the show. So today the question is, What is the last thing that you ate with um, organ meats? Christine, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, yeah, Christine, you're going to go.
0: No, we should let our guests go. I was gonna let you go go. last. Oh,
1: fine. Okay, I'll go first. Okay, me, me, pick me. Okay, so I had chicken hearts yesterday. There you go. Grilled chicken hearts.
0: Okay, my husband saw your (laughs) story with the chicken hearts and he's like, this looks really good. And Christine texted me because Ryan texted her and Christine's like, Hey, your husband thinks you should have chicken hearts for dinner. Um, we did not have chicken hearts for dinner because I don't have oh, any, but, but we will soon because we have ordered meat birds and they will be here in September. And so by like November, we'll have a ridiculous amount of chicken hearts.
2: How how many birds do you get?
0: Uh, we've ordered thirty meat birds.
2: And you just get them all at once, and then
0: yeah. So there's a huge shipping discount if you order a certain <gasps> amount.
1: <laughs> well, Corey, I don't know if you saw my my oldest question when I was like spearing the chicken hearts, but he was like, "So were all of these hearts in one chicken?" <laughs> Or is this a heart for chicken? <laughs> and I was like, no, sweetheart, this is one heart per chicken. Uh, so he was like, oh, so this is a lot of different chickens. And I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, my that's God.
2: really cute. And you, right. you get them—you get them dead, right? They're already
1: no,
0: they're alive. Oh, they're right? alive. Yeah. So when you oh, say no, you yeah. you're, you're getting live
2: chickens, and then, you're, and then you're doing, you're, you're taking, and then care we will of.
0: raise them. And then we will slaughter them.
2: How long do you allow them to – how big do you let them go? Like uh, seven weeks, ten weeks? Yeah, about ten weeks. weeks.
0: That's That's it? Well, with meat birds, the particular ones that we're getting, which are the Cornish Cornish crosses, um, they start to die of like heart attacks after about ten weeks.
2: No matter what you feed them.
0: Yeah. What? It's because – No, this is just, it's the breed. breed. So, um, and this is what like Salatin does and most, yeah, it's, it seems really strange um, because we're all coming to this with a heart for animals, right? Um, But the breed, because they're bred for meat, their bodies don't, they just keep growing. They're their muscles and stuff keep growing, and they can't, um,
2: the their bodies just start to up. shut.
0: Yeah, they start to shut wow. down.
2: Because or- yeah, it's like, it's it's purely the breed. And it's something isn't it like 95% of the birds out there are that breed. So it's really it's, it's really hard to find a different breed,
0: you can breed. get like, different breeds and heritage breeds and things if you order them. Um, but we're going to start with trying these guys um, because from the research that we've done, this seems to be the best for meat. Um, And they're like the most hardy and um, I don't know. We'll see. We're like, this is the first time we're doing this. So there's a lot of learning to be done.
1: Wait, I have a question. I know this is your first time, but so like logistically, okay, you get 30 birds, chicks, Mm -hmm they grow 10 weeks later you slaughter them all at the same time and then you're chickless again and you have to order a new batch or like oh well no because i mean you would have 30 right yeah plus so the idea is that meat.
0: we probably are going to have this will be like a year's worth of chicken
1: okay
2: okay that's a good amount
0: that's yeah that's but that's i mean that's a lot
2: now that's a lot of care you, i mean chickens chickens seem i don't know my judgment is they they, they take a lot of patience you know in terms of you got to move them around i don't, I don't know is yeah. you find that
0: i mean you don't have a- you <laughs> got to
2: watch out for the weather the weather and then of course other animals predators Raccoons, yeah, predators. That's what I yeah. Know. like when i moved to uh, so i live in portland oregon now when i moved here i probably met like 5 people right away that all had chickens and yeah two years later, none of them had chickens, and it was all raccoons, or, you know, it's just I I haven't found one person, personally, in my circle, that's been able to hold on to doing their chickens to raising chickens for like, more than five years or four years or something like that. And it's mostly, you know, it's predators, it's lifestyle, because you can't travel very much, you know, Mm. things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These are all. But things what a that, good thing
2: to do though, because the chicken industry is horrible. So yeah. it's so good that you're, you know, that's the only way you can really control it, right? Is raising your own. Or or
0: being very aware of your sourcing. Yeah.
2: Right, right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I grew up going on vacation to the eastern shore of Maryland, and there are chicken farms the whole drive out there, and it's depressing as depressing (laughs) it's depressing to see them I
2: think I think I know this we're going to end this but I think uh, so I was just in Maine recently such a beautiful state but there was this one point where we would have to drive past this one road all the time and I swear that I think the there was this one building that I'm pretty sure it was like a poultry because it, it, it looked like a really long barn. And mm-hmm. it had vents all over it, but no windows. And I'm like, Oh, that's totally how they raise chickens. Yeah. Yeah, really bad. Yeah. Um, okay. Nice. So I'll answer the organ to keep us the, the question, the organ question to keep us on track. <laughs> <laughs> okay um, good um, So actually, I mean, I, I, this, this is not a setup. I, I do eat organs every day because I'm using pluck every day. So I'm getting, you know, pluck has five organs and it has liver, heart, kidney, spleen and pancreas. And so I get them. And then I'm also every week I'm using a, some kind of like boosted blend, you know, like force of nature's ground meat with, you know, heart and liver and kidney in it. So, so I'm, I we do that once a week with a ground meat, and then we use pluck daily. So I feel like between those two, I'm really well covered. And I try to switch it up. I'm actually super impressed with that company force of nature because there, you can find them everywhere, which is helpful, right? So for sourcing, but they're now covering more than just like, beef, like they're doing it with elk, they're doing it with um, buffalo, like, and they're not just doing the ground of the muscle meat, they're they're grinding up the or, you know, they're doing these boosted ancestral blends of yeah. different animals. So I'm super impressed with them that they're covering more than just the generic beef, poultry, and pork or something like they're doing wild game.
0: I have not been able to find them since we moved um oh, man. really but that's a bummer i love bummer. them well i i order them i think that's the brand that i order through um azure but i can't oh, get it locally can't. i can't like go to the grocery store and buy it but oh, i could good when we lived thing. in maryland so yeah
2: uh, did, you say say azure, azure, did you say asher
0: did you say asher
2: oh azure or, oh oh yeah. azure the the okay the mark i thought you were talking about Dr. Uh, Cowan's son, Asher. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I, he and I are working on something, so that's why I was like, oh. Oh. Yeah, that's exciting. exciting.
1: Yeah.
0: Can't wait to hear about that. All right. I will answer the question real fast, and it's going to be kind of disappointing. I don't remember. <laughs> it's been probably two weeks or something, and I think I definitely have taken um, – I made liver capsules, like I made homemade capsules and I've what, taken those. So you're, those, you're
2: dehydrating but, them and then encapsulating them or yeah. are you making the liver shots?
0: Well, so I did that for a while and I found that the only way that I could get them down, like the frozen little, you know, where you cut the liver liver up yeah. into really tiny bits and you freeze it. Yeah. The only way I could handle that was with grape juice because it covered it. um and then I just started dehydrating it and encapsulating it because it lasts longer and it's not taking up room in my freezer. It's
2: a lot of work, though. How, how, uh, so why do you, do you get gag reflex when you eat liver, or what? what's your response when you get the taste and whatnot in your mouth?
0: Not all the time, because I can eat pate and, um, well i mean obviously i use pluck and i'll use a ground um blend but yeah it, i don't love the flavor just like liver and onions is i don't like it hmm. have you
1: tried a liver tonic nope oh come <laughs> on wait but corey do you like bloody mary's i do honestly you need to try a liver tonic they're so delicious you're and right. I, I didn't even realize this but i do it with raw chicken liver
2: oh but well, that's I different have... you cannot compare beef beef liver to chicken liver that's like
1: yeah I know. you know what i
2: mean like if you're turning if i don't know what to compare it to it's like it's like light versus you know i won the bronze and this is the gold you know I mean? and i don't mean nutritionally i mean it's probably true yeah. nutritionally. i'm just talking flavor wise like chicken totally. livers are anything from chicken is way milder than any other yeah. animal.
0: Chicken. Yeah. Liver Not to pente. minimize
2: what you're doing. Minim, you know no, you're no, doing. No, that's great. Like, it's great that you're I doing. I had
1: I had a few friends tell me like, "Wait, you're you're eating raw chicken liver?" And I was kind of like, "Well, y- yeah, it never even occurred to me." Um, but, you know, I freeze it for 14 days or whatever mm. and it's you know, I know the sores. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> Um, but I guess some of my friends had been using raw beef liver and they were having a hard time with the liver tonic. And that's when I I realized, wait, maybe the chicken liver, because it's so much milder, is much easier to drink. And like, I don't
0: that know, makes you a add lot some of
1: sense to me. pickle juice in there. You add some Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco if you like it. Um, it's delicious you and and the other thing is I take a frozen block I wrap a towel around it and I grate it on the microplane and like my husband has asked me before why don't you just put it in the blender and I've done that and it's disgusting like there's something about grating it on a microplane that is just you can't taste it as opposed to like blending it in the microwave, or not the microwave, <laughs> the blender. What's what well, like,
2: you know what it's like is so. Think about salt, right? So it's like there's different grades of salt. So you have coarseness of, of salt, but then you also can sometimes get flat salt, right? So, and if you if you know t- like the different grinds, like where it's really fine salt versus coarse versus flat, and just put a little bit of each on your tongue, you know, space it out, you'll see that one is more concentrated salty and one is less. And you would think the flat salt would be really concentrated, but it's actually not as much as the coarse because it's just so thin and it melts so fast on your, on your tongue. So it's kind of, I, I see it as the same thing. When you use a microplane versus a grater versus a food processor, it's the same effect. The microplane, it's like it melts. It's like what whatever organ you're microplaning just melts. It's yeah, so-, so
1: that is such a good point. When it's on the cutting board, if it's like sat there for just a little bit too long, it's literally just like a little pool of liver, and I have yeah. to take a really small spatula to like
0: wipe it up. And- <laughs> that sounds <Totally>. nasty, Christine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't care. There's very few things that gross me out, so...
2: That's good. Well, you kind of have to follow that, right? I mean, if you're eating Weston A. Price, you kind of have to be willing to get, you know, get dirty with your food, you know, yeah. right? If you're really going all out, do you find that, Corey? Your your face, you got yeah. a funny <laughs> look on your face right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that that makes a lot of sense with the chicken liver because beef liver is quite strong yeah. and the smell of it is strong and yeah and it has a much more metallic flavor um hmm. which makes- just means think- that
2: nutrients are more you know it has more of those nutrients more concentrated yeah, yeah more iron obviously
1: james do you think that the soaking actually helps Oh, like- so they say in some recipes, oh, soak oh, it in yeah. milk or soak it in lemon juice. Mm-hmm. Does that actually help cut the flavor?
2: Uh, I don't think so, personally. I mean, I and I've done I've done it all those ways. And I remember when I was first, you know, you mentioned I've been in the culinary field for over 16 years. And I and, like when I first went to culinary school, I learned about Weston A. Price. I, I got the you know the cookbook Nourishing Traditions uh, at my culinary school. That's where I learned about it. And um,
1: what? Wait, what? <laughs> Up and talk about this. Oh, really? What um, culinary school did you go to? Okay, keep going and then we'll we'll, well it ask doesn't that ex- question.
2: It doesn't, I don't think it fully exists now, but it's called the natural gourmet, and it was in New York. Um Anne-Marie Colbin was the person who started it. She started it in like the 60s, and it was really she was a real foremother. I don't know what four, she was she she was like one of the early people who really got people thinking about healthy food. And even though the school kind of had more of a, I think a lot of people saw it as more vegan vegetarian, but it really wasn't like, it's funny, they taught that a lot. But I think that was more just their niche. um, Because they really taught traditional ancestral ways of cooking, they taught like proper ways. I mean, they taught a lot of uh, nourishing tradition stuff, they taught um, meat, they did all different meats, things like that. And most of the instructors were omnivores. So I'm not totally sure why they had that that kind of perspective out there. But yeah, they were definitely more known for their vegan vegetarian stuff. Like I learned to make Satan and and how to use all the different, you know, plant-based proteins and stuff like that. I mean, talk but about it's,
0: gross, right?
2: Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it it is interesting. Like, I'm such a firm believer like of around diets that and you probably can honor this, you know, in terms of when you think about your kids and their process, right? It's like, I think as a parent, I tend to want to take, I just want to tell my kids, like, just don't do this, or don't do that, or just, you know, to, to learn already, already know what to do based on my experience. And what i've learned over my own life and just now being a parent i'm just like well no i have to we have to live give everyone the dignity of their experience with it so i'm always like like i have nieces that are vegan and and i i've been in the field long enough where i've dealt with a lot of people that are vegan and i'm just like okay if that's what you want to do go for it but all i ask is one thing is that you listen to the feedback your body gives you and you don't just toss that off. You don't just be like, Oh, I notice I'm more flat, you know, I'm farting more or there's more, more digestive distress, like don't think that that's a, a, you know, like a, a nothing like, like, honor how your body then communicates to you what you're eating. And the same would go with like organ meats or meat, like, if you've if you were like having gag reflexes when you're trying to eat certain things, well, then, yeah, maybe you need to slow down on that or like try to get it in a different way or even not eat it. I, you know, we have to honor our process, I think. I just think it's important.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true, in especially with um, the way that we eat. Maybe not especially, but I mean, that's what we're talking about we're talking about food, but, um, would you,
2: do you remember, I, how, I don't know how long you both have been going to like Weston a price conferences, but I've been going a long time. And, and I remember one of my first conferences, it was actually in Texas. The, 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 um, the China, there was a woman in Berkeley who had just put out a kind of a, a rebuttal against the China study book and um she was getting a lot of heat like in terms of just she it was kind of going viral what she was doing and so she was one of the speakers right and so one of the first things she did in the room was she said okay who in the room has ever like been a vegan or followed the vegan diet and no joke every single hand went up in the room every single and it was a packed room i'm talking there were had to be hundreds of people in this room and um or maybe a hundred. I don't know how it felt like a really big room, and I think that right there tells you yes. See, everyone has their journey, and even the people that have found Weston A Price, they started somewhere else probably, and they probably got there because they got sick, or or they someone else got sick, or you know, something happened. You know, so that's why I'm like we we got to honor our process, whatever that may be.
1: I absolutely love that, and I think that when it comes to feeding kids, especially, that is so important. And even like when we talk about picky eating and things like that, there might be a reason that a child is avoiding or rejecting a certain food. And it might not even be that they know why, but intuitively maybe there is gut dysbiosis or maybe there's a nutrient deficiency. And obviously they can't voice that, but they just have this like internal instinct that X, Y, and Z food doesn't sit right with them. And so that's why they're rejecting it. And as parents, you know, obviously we just want our kids to eat and we'll push them and, and that kind of thing. And for me personally, I've been a lot more conscious of that with my kids as they get older. Um, even, even with the baby, I mean, you know, uh, but I'll just, I'm going to go off on a little story real quick, but my middle child, my five-year-old, recently started rejecting potatoes, and obviously potatoes are nightshades, and, you know, and so I would say, okay, you know, you don't have to eat potatoes kind of thing, and I went against all of my advice, and if everyone else ate potatoes, I would make a sweet potato for her, for example, Um, and she, and, and we would, but I would question her to try and get a little bit deeper, so why don't you like potatoes, and do you like potatoes when they're cooked this way, or when they're cooked that way, or And she would say, well, I like French fries, but I don't like roasted potatoes. And I like mashed potatoes, but I don't like potatoes in soup. And so we kind of played back and forth with this for a while. And I humored her. And I want to say we did this for maybe six months. And and now she's kind of going back to like, "Okay, yeah, maybe I'll eat a potato. but it was a really big learning experience for me to sort of step back and realize, you know, I'm not going to push her on this. If if she has a reason for not liking them, then that's OK. Um, I will validate that and offer another option that is relatively similar or that's not too difficult for me to make. Uh, and sometimes that just meant I made a soup, and there were potatoes in it, but there were other vegetables. And she would just pick the potatoes out. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm off on this tangent because what you said really resonated with me, and it kind of made me think about that.
2: I, I wholeheartedly agree with you too. Like, so even just if I share personally, like I'm I'm a f- redhead. I'm very very fair skinned, and I do not like raw tomatoes. I've never liked them, ever. And yet, if you then now you know later on you start to learn. Oh wait, when Tomatoes are cooked. It's lycopan, I think. Ly- Lycopene. It's it's like the, the chemical in them that supports the skin's protection against sun comes out, but not when they're raw. And it's like, oh, here's here I am, a fair skinned, very sensitive to this, you know, to to being out in the sun too long, and yet health wise, it's actually better for me to have cooked tomatoes, and I do like cooked tomatoes. I just don't like raw tomatoes. And I never have, and so I just have to wonder. It, it, it's got to be something in, chemically internally for me.
0: That's really interesting. I have two redheaded children, and they love tomatoes. So, <laughs> what? Doesn't
2: matter if it's cooked <laughs> or raw.
0: No, they love them raw most. They don't. I mean, they like ketchup and pizza sauce, but like they don't want sauce on their pasta or.
2: Oh in, well, that's different though. Soup. That. I like know I'm, a lot of kids that don't like well yeah sauces. Yeah. I mean that's different. But but they don't have a preference over raw tomato versus cooked. It doesn't they'll they eat would, a raw tomato.
0: Both of my redheaded children would rather eat like an entire container of grape tomatoes yeah. over I don't know, a, a cooked tomato for sure.
2: Interesting.
1: Wait, that's the baby. That's so interesting because my baby won't touch a raw tomato to save his life or a raw cucumber or a raw bell pepper, pretty much any raw vegetables. And maybe I need to say something more about this on social media, but I don't push it because I know that that digestive system probably can't break down a raw vegetable and absorb those nutrients. And so doesn't bother me if he doesn't want to eat vegetables right like raw vegetables right now and I, I know that maybe in the future he will
0: I mean in Your general point, that's a good point I don't push my kids to eat things almost never I almost never do that like I have a philosophy with my children that I'll make the meal I'll serve the meal they can decide to eat it or not and I don't even make them try anything like I'm just saying like here's the food. This is what our family is eating. You have to sit with us, but you don't have to eat.
2: But you don't, if they don't choose that, that you don't make another meal, right? No. It's just like, this is it. Either no. eat this meal I, or you're just not eating tonight. Yes. Yeah. That's how I'm totally like that as well. Like my, I our family's like that.
0: make sure to have something that I know that my kids like. And sometimes yeah. that's just like, here's your glass of raw milk. Um, but yeah, no, this is the meal and that's it.
2: Yeah, we're totally the same way. And then, and then what we face a lot is that the kids will eat their food, but particularly the younger one will start to say, I'm not hungry or I'm full, you know, and, and it always coincide with around when the vegetables need to be, eaten. you know, like they've eaten <laughs> everything but the vegetables and it's just like, I'm not hungry anymore. And then, and then, and then, like, I always test it. I'm always like, oh, really? Because we were going to have ice cream after dinner. And they're like, oh, I want ice cream. I'm like, okay. So clearly, you know, that's my trick. I'm like, clearly you're not that stuffed. <laughs> so, <laughs> but didn't you but know have,
0: there's a separate ice cream stomach?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> For I, sure. At a certain age, right? Um, I. Uh, but we have the policy of like the exact same as you, Corey, but if they don't eat their dinner, they don't get anything else. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean, you know how sometimes like even as adults, you'll eat your dinner, but then a few hours later you might be hungry again. So you, you might get yourself a snack or you might have dessert or whatever it is like, but we don't go to stay beyond that meal. If you didn't finish it, like that's it for us. But I do agree with you, Christine. Like I I like I like kind of have like foods that it's like, okay, this is what's important to us as a family. So like fat is important to us, vegetables, and protein. And that happens to be animal protein for us. That's kind of it. Like if my kid doesn't want to have pasta, rice, potatoes, anything like that, bread, whatever, I'm like, okay, like, that's like my youngest doesn't like potatoes either. It doesn't even matter. Oh, sometimes she'll eat them fried, but even then sometimes she doesn't. It's just like, and I'm just like, okay, that's all right. Like, but it's like, but if you, if, if there's meat, vegetables or fat, obviously is mixed in with it. Like if any of those things are not, are on the table and they're trying to avoid it, then it's like, okay, well that's fine. But then you don't get anything after your dinner. <laughs> silence. No, I know.
1: Right. I was, I was like thinking, okay, what am I going to no. know? Um, cause I'm trying to think, I actually don't think that I do like, a, if you don't eat this, you don't get that concept. I mean, I'm sure I do it every once in a while. I think we all have done that. Um, but for the most part, I treats are usually saved for, Actually, the grandparents. <laughs> the grandparents are the ones that dish out the treats. Oh, so you don't
2: um, even serve the treats? That's not good. No,
1: not- I usually don't serve the treats, uh, which maybe I need to be a little more lax about that. But, like, actually, even two days ago, I had asked Corey for a cookie recipe because I was going to make cookies for the tea that I talked about earlier. And then, and all day today, I was like, do I make the cookies? Do I not? Do I make the cookies? Do I not? Because the time that we were going to eat, have the tea was right before dinner. And I was struggling with it all day thinking, I don't feel comfortable doing this right before dinner. They're going to have tea and cookies and then I want them to eat dinner. And so I decided not to. Um, And I mean, there will be other chances to have tea and cookies, Uh, but where am I going with this?
2: (laughs) Well, how often, Corey, how often do you you guys have desserts and how often do you do it?
0: Um, We have desserts whenever somebody feels like making one. So sometimes that's me. Um, Today, my son made some oatmeal, peanut butter, chocolate chip thing um, that they ate for dessert. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looser with desserts and then I know Christine is my one thing, like what she said about the grandparents, this actually is bothers me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get it off my chest on this episode. Um, it bothers me that my, not just my parents, but like all the grandparents are the like treat givers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't bother me that they're giving them treats, although I wish they would give them better treats, not, not the highly processed treats. What bothers me is that then I feel like I have to not give my kids treats because I know they're getting treats with my parents or with, you know, my husband's parents. And I'm like, I want to be the fun one. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: I totally agree with that, Corey. Um, yeah, sometimes like I, sometimes I actually want to bake cookies, right? I, I hate <laughs> baking, but sometimes I want to make a treat and I want to get my kids treats. But then I think, oh, th- you know, they're going to be at grandma's house this weekend and, and my house. So my kids spend the night at my mom's house every Friday night and she makes them a treat every Friday night. So they're getting at least one treat Friday night. Most of the time it's like WAPF approved. It's from the kid's cookbook, or <laughs> there's another cookbook called It Takes Guts, and it's an organ meat cookbook. And she's made a few recipes from there as well. Yeah, Ashley. Um, yeah, Ashley. OK, I, I couldn't remember her name. But um, so most my mom's treats are pretty good for the most part. Um, my mother-in-law loves her to death. She tries really hard to, but it, theirs are much more conventional. And so, yeah, they're usually getting treats definitely Friday night and then maybe also on like Saturday or Sunday. And so then I feel that way, Corey, where I'm like, oh, my gosh, another treat during the week, like three times in one week. Like to me, that feels a lot personally, but that that's like my threshold. Um, That's kind of like how I feel about it. And I do I do think in the summertime there's more because, yeah, I don't know, there's popsicles and ice cream like yeah and there's part and and i mean i make a point to make ice cream in the summertime because it's the time to eat ice cream (laughs) let's be honest
2: i i love that we're talking about this because i think there's this idea that so many people in weston a price are so dogmatic you know and are so like perfect and they just they do it all right all the time and it's like no we don't like like we go through phases, we struggle with, you know, everyone who's on any kind of restrictive or specific diet struggles with society, you know, just dealing with other people that aren't on that restriction or that specific diet. And it's like, you're kind of, at least I think we're all kind of just doing the best we can with what we've been given. Right. And so it's like, I don't know that humanness. I just appreciate that you're sharing this humanness because I think I I have to imagine that there's people out there that probably think you guys have it all together and maybe they don't but you know and just have all the answers it's like you know we don't we figure it out and and like I sometimes laugh like so I've been doing this stuff for so long that I'm kind of like over it like like (laughs) like I'm like Cause I used to do the sourdough breads. I used to do, I mean, I used to do everything for scratch. And now I'm just like, I don't want, I either don't want to, or I'm just over it. I'm just kind of like, I, I'd rather just not even eat it than take the time to make it. You know what I mean? Like making your own pickles sounds great, but I just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's honestly, so that's true. Wh- That's why I created pluck. I'm like, you know, like who's sometimes you just don't want to have to, you know, pull out and and defrost that slimy liver and like, and like deal with grating it and like getting it all over the cutting board and it just mashes on there, you know, and you're just kind of like, ah, so it's like, I'm like, how can I make this? How can I make eating these ancestral foods as easy as possible? Like that was my whole focus.
0: I love that.
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty darn easy to just take the pack out and go,
0: like sprinkle it on. Do you make that sound when you use Pluck? I I I always
2: go, can we use that? Can we like patent that? Put that in our commercials? (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: I mean, okay. So
2: yeah,
0: a long time ago, maybe actually maybe not that long ago, but in my mind is a long time ago. It's probably like four years ago. I was like done with the diet culture thing. Right. Like I so done with it and having grown up in that, um, nineties and early two thousands time. And this is like getting way off topic, you guys, but like all of the women who were represented in that time when I was a teenager were super skinny and I was never that way. And so there was always this, you know, overshadowing diet culture mantra sort of going on. And, and I, I wrote it for a while. I mean, I did the vegan thing for like a month. Um, (laughs) And, um, I did the vegetarian thing for longer than a month. And then we started doing, um, whole 30 and we did paleo and not that those things are terribly bad, but they're very restrictive and, and I felt great for the most part on them. And then I got to the point where I was like, this sucks. Like I want to eat bread. I don't want to drink almond milk. And then that's about when I found um, Nourishing Traditions and I found Weston A. Price. And I was like, this is the most n- unrestricted way of eating that I can find and still um, feel good. And
2: yeah.
0: I am not perfect. I have absolutely no desire to be perfect And if we go out with friends and they choose the restaurant, then I guess we're eating pizza and beer. Actually, I don't eat beer. I don't like it, but you know, (laughs) this is the idea.
2: I, 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 am not interested in. (laughs) I mean, look, I'll tell, like, I, I, I was just telling someone this the other day. So I, as a, someone in this field, you know, as a chef, I've had to be on top of all the different diets and trends. Always like and I I couldn't just understand them on an intellectual level, I had to actually be able to make the food taste good. So I was like, always hunting and like, like, Doing, being a guinea pig for all these different diets and trends. You name the detox, I've probably done it like, and not just once, like multiple times, so I could master it and cook it and do it for other people. And so, inevitably, people go, Well, so which diet that you've done has been the best? Like, which one did you feel the best on? And you know what it was? It was raw like it was what is it called it's called primal raw primal so it's basically raw animal meat and products so raw dairy raw butter raw muscle meat organs everything raw and we did that for 30 days and it was amazing like I ate less just naturally my poops were perfect my skin radiated I my energy was endless like I felt great but it was so not realistic. We had a two-year. We I think we had a one and a half year old at that point. We couldn't go out with anybody because how many you know how many restaurants are serving you know like the 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 you know the uh, beef cebach kib- you know kibachi. It's like there there aren't many. You know I mean there weren't that many ceviche places or things like that. It's like we were just kind of limited on where we could eat out. You felt kind of freakish if you did eat with anyone else because they were just like kind of like oh you're eating everything raw. And so it was like, it was a cool experiment, but you have to, I don't know, like kind of to your point Corey, it's like, you can eat what works for you. And if you want to be part of society, you then have to be willing to bend, right? Or or I don't know, or just, or just kind of take the heat if it, if it comes with any heat, like, oh, she's the picky one, or, you know, you just take the label that people will give you.
1: But no heat on your food because it was raw.
2: It was raw. No, I, I. It was so. It was so interesting, kind of diving into that because that's not how I was raised at all. It was really challenging at first, like just eating. We would basically take tons of raw butter and and we were eating lots of uh, ground bison and stuff, mm-hmm. and we would just kind of put it together and we make these little meatballs with it. And it was it was hard to get past the the psych the psychology of it, but once we did, it was quite good. Like I was, I was pretty amazed.
1: So sometimes I wonder if like I actually need to go on something like that because I do raw, maybe like raw meat, maybe once every two months or something like that. And every time I do, my mouth is watering as I'm preparing it. Like I literally want to just like dive in and eat the ground beef raw. And I do. And Some of my kids do as well. And, you know, the baby, especially, like he takes a few bites and he's like, more, more, more. Like it's like so animalistic. It's bizarre. I don't, and I don't know if everyone, like other people have this reaction towards raw meat, but there's something about it that, like, I'm like, I want more raw meat.
2: <laughs> if there's one thing I trust, it's that like, and it's not just that it's raw. I just mean that body's re- the body's reaction like that, just to anything. I tend to go, Oh, well, that's your, ins- that's, that's what your body is telling you. You need now, obviously you could say, Oh, but well, my body reacts like the way to ice cream. It's like, well, okay, well then, then maybe it's not necessarily the sugar your body's needing, but maybe you don't have enough fat in your diet. You know, you think about whatever that food is most dominant in is probably the thing your body's craving. Yeah. So for you, it might be like iron and, and muscle, you know, protein, you know, but that easily accessible iron and protein, cause that's ultimately, I know we're talking about organs today, but ultimately that's why you, you want these foods. So I would say that your body was probably wanting the, the nutrients that are, you know, in that raw meat, like the high protein or the accessible iron, you know, cause you know, we have to remember when we cook things that degrades it, any heat, you know, will start to kill the vitamins and minerals. Now, luckily it's when we're eating them in West St. Price, we're eating them in whole foods and that's protecting it more so than if it was like some isolated vitamin, you know, in a capsule or something. Right. Um, but I think that uh, this is also why organs are so important is that that these nutrients that are plentiful in these foods, whether it's this raw meat or whether it's the organs in the raw state, even are I find our bot like when I used to get bone broth when I first started doing bone broth way back in the day, I felt that from my body, like my body almost like, I always describe it like it was curling around the glass or the mug of bone broth. Like, it's just, it's, it was like a warm blanket that I just, I didn't want to let go of. And I, I feel the same way when I put pluck on my finger and I'm like licking, you know, the seasoning, I feel the same way. When I get raw, same thing, sometimes raw organs and stuff, I just, I there's something that comes out and I believe that is our body telling us you need this, you, you need whatever it is, you know, organs are high. Um, they're high. in basically every vitamin, you, you know, B vitamins, they have every single one of them, particularly B 12. They're higher in iron. They're high in vitamin a, uh, some of the highest available vitamin a, right? I mean, they're, you name it, they're high in it. Like I always kind of say it's mother nature's multivitamin and it's so fascinating because like you guys are mothers and when you're first pregnant, you know, you know, the medical field or scientists are telling you, Okay, you need to take prenatal vitamins. Well, everything that's in a prenatal vitamin is in orgamy. Everything. And so it's just like, Oh, well, that's that's Western society's solution to it. But ultimately, if you just are eating these whole foods, you're gonna get everything plus more. because um, we can't we can't isolate whole foods the way you know, like it's impossible to recreate that food in a laboratory, right? Like they can isolate vitamin C, but they can't recreate the orange in a pill, you know? And a lot of these vitamins are synergistic, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like, um, I always, this is why I promote whole foods. Like if there's any kind of diet or trend that I promote consistently for the, over the last 16 plus years, it's whole foods. It's just like eating real whole foods is key. It trumps any, diet out there. And even though our soils are more degraded, even though you know, and they're tracking this, the food is not as nutritious as it was back in the day. It's still to me, invaluable, because it's primarily around the vitamins and minerals, because a lot of these vitamins and minerals, particularly like you know, I always think of like synthetic versus whole food vitamins. So a lot of these synthetic vitamins are typically isolated, right? Whereas when you get the vitamins and minerals from a whole food, they complement each other and many of them have to be paired. So like B12, for example, if you don't comp, if you don't do it with folate, then you can cause a lot of damage in yourself. Like you, you it's, so it's required for like optimal mental function. Um, but a deficiency in one produces even a deficiency in the other. You know what I mean? So it's like if you're not taking high amounts of folate with the B12, you can cause neuro- neurological damage. You get what I mean? So it's like, so sometimes these are not, this is not synergistic in these synthetic vitamins that a lot of people are depending on. So I'm just like, you gotta get it from whole food. You have to, because the B12 and the folate are in the liver that's already there. They're, Mother Nature has put them together already for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I sometimes yeah. just get on that bandwagon. I'm just like, look, if there's one thing, you're if you're, I know it's confusing out there. I know it's overwhelming on what to eat. But if there's one thing, I just, I'm just like, look, just choose things that are ingredients versus things that have ingredients.
1: Yep, I love that saying. Um, what do you think about? This whole idea of, well, some organ meats are dangerous to eat, or yeah, I mean, <laughs> this topic, man.
2: Well, it's myths, right? Totally. There's, there's the. So, are you talking about like the 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 vitamin A getting too much vitamin A?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, or that organs are um, are they're, they're toxic store toxin storage units versus yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I'm so glad you brought that up. So these are definitely common misconceptions, um, particularly around liver and kidney, because people they they basically think of these as like place where they're processing processing and storing the toxins. But really, you want to think of organs as more of a filter than a sponge. That's kind of the visual that I that I use their job it's to process and convert potentially toxic byproducts into more water soluble forms that can then be excreted through our elimination pathways like our pee, our poop, our sweat, right? But these toxins have to be like, that's the job of these organs is to convert them into water soluble forms. And so if you're a healthy animal, whether you're a cow or a human, doesn't matter any animal, their elimination pathways are gonna be working if you're a healthy animal. That's why we always emphasize, make sure you're buying these things from healthy animals, right, 100% grass fed, humanely treated, small farms, things like that. Um, because you wanna make sure that they are eliminating things properly. And if if they don't, it still doesn't necessarily store in the organ. I mean, I think you'd have to be very ill for that to happen, but usually you know, toxins are stored in the fat not not in the organs now if you have a fat buildup around the organ then it's still going to store in that fat it's not necessarily storing in the organ so that's really key and you know um sally fallon actually talks about like when you're making pates for example with any organ because it's so high in vitamin a what you can do is is you can help to offset that vitamin a by cooking it in lard because that's going to be high in vitamin d and and the the vitamin d and the vitamin a um support each other in in the absorption but here's really here's something that ultimately is really key when you're eating a whole food source you cannot eat you, you you can't get too much of a vitamin or mineral like when it's a whole food source, your body actually knows what to do with it, it will eliminate it if it doesn't need it. And it will try to absorb it if it can, if it if it does need it. That is not true with synthetic vitamins. But when it's a whole food source, vitamin or mineral, your body can process or not probably like it will eliminate it in some way. You don't usually hear about people getting I don't even know what the term, like vitamin A toxicity who are eating it from whole food sources. If they're eating like uh, processed foods and it's in a fortified product, yes, that's totally possible. But those are synthetic vitamins. Have you heard of anyone getting uh, vitamin A toxicity from eating uh, actually a whole food source? Um,
1: I mean, there's like murmurings throughout Like the chapter leader emails. But when you read the stories, generally these are individuals who are consuming mass amounts of liver. So I'm talking about like too much. Yeah, maybe they're eating liver, maybe like four to six ounces of liver a week. um, Yeah. So that's one person.
2: Yeah. And so that is an important point. So so um, there used to be, back in the day, Are you Have you ever heard of Agenus? He, 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 he was a raw food guy. Um, he kind of was one of the people that helped to get the raw primal diet out there. But he was, he was a really big figure back when I first was uh, out of culinary school and I was living in L.A. He used to have a Venice uh, shop called, I think it was called Rawsome. And it was raided by the federal government many times, actually. It was so disappointing. But um, it was a club that you could join and you would be able to get access to like lots of raw products, like raw dairy from Amish country, um, raw just really high-quality products that many Weston A. Price Foundation chapters have access to now. But this was like a club in Venice Beach that you could get access to. And um, a lot of people that followed him were – eating the kind of, they were really keen on raw honey, and raw dairy and raw cream. And it was like it was almost like they saw it as the panacea, like the thing that would heal everybody right. And you would hear like, I remember we knew this one guy, my wife and I knew this one guy uh, who taught yoga, and he was like eating a ton of honey, like ton of honey. And he we were just like, um okay, I know that's on the diet that it's raw, it's raw honey. And I know honey can be healthy and nutritious, but it's the same thing. You can get too much of a good thing. Like it's like, he, he eventually started to get like, have huge diabetic issues because he was getting way too much, you know, like sweetener in his diet. So I think, I think it goes both ways. Just like the people that are eating the standard American diet and not listening to their bodies. You, you could be eating West a price and also not listening to your body, like you need to listen to your body, your body gives feedback. And it's key, it's key that we have to remember that what works for one person doesn't always work for another person. So we have to be true to our individual by you know, our bio individuality is a real thing. So you have to be true to that. And then just listen, just be just listen to your body. Like I find my body, like when I get, like salt is a perfect example. Sorry, I'm talking, I'm going off on this, but. No, like, no, go ahead. Like salt is a perfect example, okay? Like if you need salt and you take your finger and put it in, in like really high quality sea salt and you taste it, if it tastes really good and you want more, you'll then dip your finger and you'll, you'll keep, your body will keep wanting more of it, right? But then at one point, your body, it will start to taste different. Like the salt will just not taste good anymore, and your and it's clearly that your body is rejecting it. Your body's like, okay, I'm good, I got enough salt, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's happening with everything we eat. Like, have you ever noticed? Like, like I this is a bizarre one. I hardly, I rarely talk about this, but you know, people like when you really dive deep into food, like the energy around the food is substantial. So, like the state that you're in, right? The parasympathetic. Place that you're in is going to affect your digestion. So it's really important. Like you don't want to be stressed out when you're eating, but it's also true about the energy of the food. And it, there's energy, and that energy permeates our bodies, the, the atoms, our cells. Like there's energy constantly everywhere. It's always being passed back and forth, right? So sometimes what can happen is you can have a food in front of you. And before you even put it up to your mouth, it's almost like muscle testing like you're you'll, you you can just be looking at it and go in and actually start to move towards reaching for it and your body will start to react like it, your stomach will either start to gurgle and like or or like maybe you'll like have flatulence or something so, your body will literally start to react to the idea of you putting that in your mouth and sometimes that reaction is not a positive reaction and you should listen to that because that muscle testing these things are real this energy exchange is very real and it's giving you information 24/7 all you have to do is just you know listen
1: yeah i couldn't agree more with the bioindividuality even within this ancestral diet um, you know sometimes i'll read emails from individuals who say you know, I have followed Weston A. Price, but I can't eat sourdough or I can't have raw dairy. And they're just agonizing over it. And I think we need to remember that, yeah, you might be following an ancestral diet and maybe you can't drink raw milk. Like maybe you actually can't have dairy. And there's probably a reason for it, whether it's your own ancestral lineage or whether you have gut healing or whether just it's not for your body. Um, and so, totally going back to what you're saying of we need to honor our bioindividuality and if that means you know whatever that means for you actually follow and listen to it um and and kind of circling back to this whole idea of like restricting foods and modern society um yeah just when when we're listening to our bodies um I actually don't know where I was going with that. I'm gonna to have to stop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for the, I lost the, my
1: train of thought.
2: For those listening, it's late. It's late for them. I know,
1: right? <laughs> Dang it.
2: Long day, but but I I feel where you're going though, and you know I I want to share something that's a little controversial, um, but I just feel like it's part of this conversation. So here I'm a chef, you know, and I'm talking about food. And a lot of people look at me and they're like, oh, you're a foodie, you know, you really care about the quality of the food and the taste. And it's true, there's true, I I, I can be snobby about certain foods and stuff like that. I would say that's true. But what I've been really focusing on probably the last three years is actually unwinding from that concept of being a foodie. Like really trying to change food and move it away from this delicatessen or like this kind of thing that we emulate to really be more about fuel. And here's why. And it kind of ties into some things we were talking about earlier. But even this conversation, it's like, I because I'm finding that we put I believe and this is what I think is controversial is that we put too much emphasis on food. I actually think that the way that we reward ourselves with food, the, the way we, we either reward ourselves because we did something great or we did or we had a bad day but it's a reward either way, or you have a birthday. Let me just, you know, jam pack your, your, your food with all this crap, you know, or, oh, you just turned 21. Let's go get you drunk. You know, like we have all these rituals around these food or drink beverage experiences that I just think are not conducive towards our health. And so I'm really trying to focus more and more on like, how about instead of, rewarding our kids for doing a great job at whatever with a treat, a, a, like a dessert treat. Why don't that? Why? Why can't the treat be hey, they get one on one time with you? You know, why can't we kind of mo- start moving outside the box and move away from the food as a reward and make it more about, you know, I'm just throwing out the one on one thing, it could be anything, but just anything that's not food. You know, because uh, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but like I Like I don't do well with like, like moderation. Like for me, like, like I used to do the whole, like, oh, I don't know. There's so many trending things, but I used to do the whole like paleo eating. And then like, I'd eat really strict, you know, six days a week. And then one day a week I'd have a cheat day and all this. stuff. I used to do all this stuff. And I was like, you know, what happens when you do that is I, I, you know, I'm disciplined for six days, but then I eat that one day off and I feel like crap. Like, I really feel bad from it. Right. And then like I, the cravings kind of increase the next couple of days. So even though I'm now like going back to eating straight and, and whatever disciplined, but it hurts like, cause I'm now craving all these other foods now. And my mind just gets all jumbled and you know, the cravings, like I said, are increased. And so I'm, I'm really fine. Like actually just saying, I don't eat that. Like, like we're gluten free. Like so now, when I go to grocery stores and I see samples and stuff, I'm just like, oh, I can't eat those because they're usually not gluten free samples. And it it actually makes it easier for me. I find that when I de-emphasize food, when I limit my choices, I actually feel better. And and I know that that doesn't tie into people that like Corey. You were sharing like the de- deprivation or like or even I know a lot of women. I'm not you didn't say this, but I know a lot of women and some men have eating disorders and so, and they've recovered from it. So the idea of like being, putting a limitation on food is actually feels destructive to them, you know what I mean? Cause it it feels like they're taking stepwards back, backwards, but I don't know, just putting that out there. Cause I, I, that's kinda, I know it's controversial, but I really, I'm, I'm experimenting with it and I'm actually finding a lot of success with it.
1: Yeah. So you're more of an abstainer yeah, you just feel or that abstaining works better for you versus moderating.
2: Yeah, it's like I know my, I know my, um, I know my, my what's what's the word? Like I, I know, I know the track. You know, I know what I, I like basically right now. I eat fat, I eat animal protein, and I eat vegetables. Like that's it. I don't do any starches right now because I'm I'm on a very specific protocol. Like I'm on a on a anti fungal protocol because I'm trying to clean out my system, but like. Like, so I don't even do sweet potatoes. I don't do cassava flour. Like I don't do any of it because any starch is going to feed that fungal stuff. And so I'm I'm keeping it really, really clean. And I've now been doing it about two and a half months. And I got to say, like, I feel amazing. And it's gotten so easy because I don't have to worry about 50 choices. Like I got limited choices and, and they're all really good. It's not that they're bad. They're good choices. And so... I don't know. I don't have decision fatigue around it. I, when I need to eat, I just, I eat those foods and I feel good. And, and um the cravings are completely gone at this point, you know? So I don't know. I'm just, I'm experimenting with this stuff. And I think it just goes back to like, well, you got to listen to your body. You got to follow your bio individual out individuality. And I'm like, well, this is working for me right now. So why would I, why would I second guess it or beat myself up for around it? You know?
0: Yeah. So, I have a question then about because you have in your household, there's you, your wife, and your two girls, right? Yeah, so your body is reacting well to this. Do you impose this on the rest of your family? Are you the person that cooks for your family, or do you and your wife kind of share that?
2: I do most of the cooking sometimes, you know, she does a day or two, but I do most of it. i I would say, so I was the stay-at-home parent for um, when when our second child was born. I was the stay-at-home parent. And I did that about three or four years um, fully. Um, and not to say that, that I mean, it's not like she had it off, right? She was being the breadwinner. And it was hard for It was so hard for her. And then I got to say, like being the stay-at-home parent, that was some of the hardest work I've ever done, particularly with a newborn. I mean, it's crazy. Like your brain just feels like it's on a loop. And you feel literally insane. Like I felt insane. I thought I was going to go crazy. (laughs) But I, but I, you know, but I also got so much out of it, right? I got I got so much healing, I got, you know, I got my sleep back, I got my brain back. Because before that, I was just this workaholic who was running this meal delivery service, and who is never having like get barely getting any sleep. I mean, I was really like my tank was not full. And so being a stay at home parent really helped me get my health back. My got me really close to my two daughters. Um, and it's definitely a unique position that for, as a male, uh, it's definitely a unique position and I'm very, very grateful for it. Um, but to answer your question. So when I do the cooking, um, No, I they they all do dairy and they do starches and like, I'll make rice and stuff. But that's what I mean. I, I, I know, like, if I if I was going to share anything to anyone out there who's like thinking like, yeah, I feel like I needed to kind of get disciplined with my eating, I would say this is you got to know your why you got to know why you're doing it. What is it and you got to really it's got to be like, it can't just be like, Oh, I want to lose 15 pounds. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, it's got to be deeper than that. It's like, you know, like my why right now is, you know, I'm, I'm 48, and I'm going to be 49 later this year in December. So I'm getting closer to that 50 mark, right? And I can't I mean, there's a lot of people that are now dying in their early 50s. And so I can't help but feel very vulnerable and very, very kind of conscientious of life and, and death. And, and so my my why is like, I want to be around for my kids, I want to see them grow as old as possible. And so I'm very determined I'm like, I want when I hit 50, I want to feel better at 50 than I did at 40. Like that is my goal. And so it's very rooted. And then also I'm kind of working on, like I mentioned, I'm working on this kind of antifungal stuff. I have like a little bit of a toe thing, toenail thing, and I'm trying to get rid of that naturally instead of taking the prescription medicine because that can harm your, you know, your kidney and stuff. So I'm trying to um, do it more naturally. And, uh, it takes longer of course, and it's challenging, but it's like, I'm, I'm grounded in my why. Like, I'm like, there's, I will not diverge. Like this matters too much. My kids matter way too much to me to, to eat that cookie, you know, or have that bowl. Like I've, I've done it. I've eaten the cookie. I've done that. I know what they all taste like. I know it. You know what I mean? So I just no longer succumb to my cravings. So when I, when I'm cooking for my family and I make rice or I make sweet potatoes, whatever, I'm like totally fine. I'm, I am i don't feel deprived. I don't, none of it. I'm like, I'm good. I'm totally good. And, um, you know, and then they, and then they enjoy their meal. I mean, they're, cause I agree with you. I, if that's where you're going, like, I, I wouldn't want to impose my stuff on my kids or family unless it was something that served everybody really well. Like if, if we were all on a protocol, you know, if like one of my kids, like t- typically what we do is if, if one of the kids is on a protocol, cause like we were helping my oldest daughter with some gut stuff, like probably last year. And so with the whole family goes on the diet, like, cause it's just easier. It particularly when it's a kid, everyone goes on the diet and you just, you're all on the same page cause you're supporting each other and you're taking care of your community. But when it's the adult that's on it, no, I don't impose that on my kids. No way.
1: That's really good advice.
2: What's um, your th- I, you, if I don't if you don't mind me jumping in, Cor- Corey? I feel like because I get to see your face, I feel like you got something going on, and I want to hear it. What so what is what are you processing right now?
0: Um, no, I think you're right on the. Um. Like, if a kid has something going on, then then everybody being together on that is seems to me like the only way to do it. Um, and then it, it doesn't seem as weird for them or, um, you know, it's just the family culture type thing. Um, I think that there is a lot, food is such an interesting thing, right? Like if you look at it from sort of like an animalistic viewpoint Um, there, you can look at it as a fuel source purely. Um, And perhaps this is my worldview playing into it, but um, I see food as um, sort of a gift that we have the ability as humans, we've developed this ability to um, put flavors together and, um, you know, access all of these different things and put them together in different ways to make, I mean, a ridiculous amount of, of foods and flavors and things like that. And um, like, I've had this conversation with, other Weston A. Price people who are much stricter than I am. And they say things like, well, you know, if I travel, then I'm just going to be really strict on when I'm, when I'm traveling. Like if I go to Italy, I'm not going to eat pasta because it's not on my oh, list of approved foods. Right.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't do that personally. I mean like, that, like, like, if you're traveling, wow. you should be eating what, you know, you, you should be enjoying life. Life is way too short. Well,
0: but that's that's kind of how I've yeah. gotten to this point where I'm like, I'm going to live life. I'm going to do as much as I can for my body. And um, obviously every day is not traveling or every day is not a birthday. But if those <laughs> things come up, I don't... I personally have not... I personally have, have lived that really restrict restricted life around food and it's not a personally healthy thing for me. And, um, I have one daughter who I know has gut issues and for a long time I've toyed with doing the, um, doing gaps with her Mm -hmm. and ultimately one of the reasons I decided not to do it was because. Um, there is history of eating disorders within my family, and I am very aware of not creating those mindsets in my children. And I am not that I think this is the case for everybody, everybody who does GAPS, everybody who does any sort of restricted dieting. Um, but I think that for me, it would have been me And maybe my children, it would have been triggering in that way. And um, that's, I mean, that's ultimately the reason we never
2: did GAPS. Do you think, do you think, do you think that when it's around a health issue that it feeds the eating disorder or is it just when it's around body image?
0: No, I think it can be both.
2: Both. Okay. Yeah, I I can see that.
1: So I actually have a friend who has mentioned this to me before. And I think it's kind of a different perspective to look at health issues, especially when it comes to health issues that our kids have. But she has suggested that that is not something that as a parent we own. That is something that our, that is our child's path. That is their journey. That is who they are. Maybe not. that's not who they are, but that is their path. And this idea as a parent that we're trying to fix them, we can kind of get obsessed with that. And that sometimes, in some instances, it might be better to let it go and let our child go down that path on their own. So maybe you know, your child decides when he or she is, you know, I don't know, 20 or 25 or younger. I know I have gut issues. I need to work on this and I'm going to work on it. But at that point, that's a decision that they've made because they've recognized that it's affecting their life and they're taking the, um, I guess, the ownership over their own healing journey. And I've always found that perspective kind of interesting and because my my uh, middle child actually we did the gaps diet with her when she was 14 months old and that just felt it was so hard and it was at that time that she was telling me telling me this like you know stop trying to fix her and just love her as she is and it was a huge wake-up call of like oh my goodness you're so right I'm obsessing over this and I need to just you know let it go um i don't know those different different
2: do, ideas is that your friend was telling you that because not your daughter wasn't saying that right
1: no this is my friend my yeah friend yeah because you're a 14
2: years. a 14 month old would would it's funny because it for me it's like i i almost think like well if they're 14 months that's a perfect time to do gaps because you oh, uh yeah. you can you know they're not going to be knowing any different
1: for sure. But I think she was also, she was starving on gaps. It was, she oh, wasn't sure, sure. enough nutrients. It was yeah. not enough calories and food for her.
2: She wasn't breastfeeding as well.
1: A lot uh, on you as a parent.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. For, I mean, that, that's a pretty easy age to do it because at that age they're still pretty much eating everything. Like they won't reject a lot of foods. Um, but yeah, I do think it's kind of a, it's a delicate age to do gaps for sure. And no, James, actually all of my kids self-weaned at 15 months. Really? I think, oh, yeah. Wow. I think it's because my supply drops dramatically that at, around that time. Yeah. And it's just, all of my kids have been voracious eaters pretty much starting at like 12 months.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I love, I mean, this topic is so fascinating to me because it's like, it's it still fee. I mean, I still stand behind. It's just about bio individuality, right? Like it, it really is. I mean, it's like what works for one person does may not work for someone else. And that's why I love having this discussion because it's like, we're not, I'm like, I don't think any of us are telling anyone, this is how you should be doing it. It's like, we're just telling well, well this is what we tried, or this is what we're doing right now. And this is working or this is not working. And it's like, all, you know, like to me, the best thing for anyone to do is just to listen to these kind of like, people, you know, listen to three, four people in the field that, you know, intrigues you and then make a decision from there. You know what I mean? Like, don't just follow one person, like, listen, I don't know, learn about three or four diets, you know, that are all kind of in the same realm and see, see if any of them resonate with you, but it'll ultimately you're the funnel, you know, you're, you're, you're the, you're whose life, like to, to your point, Christine, it's like, it's your journey just like it's the kid's journey. It's like, we cannot, we can pretend we can control it, but we don't, we don't have any control around this. And so it's really up to, it's up to us, you know? And I, and I just love, I love talking about it because I think, I just love mixing it to, you know, hearing, well, what's working for you and, oh, this is working for me. And, uh, you know, and kind of sharing notes and stuff like that. I, I, I'll just share like, like for me with like, we are so steeped in, I don't even know how to say this without it sounding weird because I don't mean it to be so extreme. It's not, but we're just so steeped in health in my household because my wife, as you started out saying, she's a, nutritional therapy practitioner and then me being a chef and we just worked in this field for so long and we know like we see things like I can I can see people on the street and I can be like oh they're alert they're they're eating this and I, you know I can see things in their face and I and I right away know like this is what's going on and it's not because I'm you know psychic it's just I've just been in the field so long that I I, I see themes I, I know these the you know this usually means that you know that kind of thing and so if I, I see it like right now, our youngest daughter, I can see stuff going on and it pains me. But I also know like she's still really young. And I, to your point, Corey, like, I don't want to put that on her yet. Like, and we also need to do it. And we need to be really calculated when we finally do a food, pro- like test her and do food protocols with her. Um, because I don't want to cause any psychological harm. I don't want her to think that it's for any other reason but that we just want her to feel better but you know to that point is like because we did as I mentioned we did do this with my oldest daughter she wasn't feeling good like she was slowly noticing like she was having lots of stomach you know digestive distress and really like pain in her stomach and so we tested her but it was because she was she was feeling something going on and it didn't feel right and so we we directly kind of use that that kind of communication her physical or body's communication and her own awareness around it to then trigger the next step which was okay let's do some testing and then we did some testing we found out this was going on that was going on this and it's like and we included her in on the process the entire time and it was never about weight or anything like that it was like we just want you to feel better and you're not feeling good and so we all did a protocol together we did the same one for her as a family and it totally worked Like she felt great afterwards. And now she's like connected. She connects now that food is not about body image. It's about feeling better in my body. So it was actually a really beautiful process for her. That's incredible. And for us. That's so cool. I I almost feel like
1: that's a goal as a parent. Totally. You did a badass job.
2: (laughs) Because we don't, we, like, I think about this all the time. And I, I have to imagine like most parents do. It's like when your kid leaves your home for school even. I'm not talking when they're 20 or so. I'm talking like just for grade school. You hit, you now have no control over what they're going to eat. Yeah. And it pains me because the school, like my kids go to this public school 3 blocks away. And it's like they do these this god this stuff just pisses me off. Like they do these snacks during the day and they ha- and like it's like popcorn and gummy bears. It's like all this crap and I'm just like why are you giving them snacks when they just arrived at school? And I know it's because some kids don't eat breakfast or don't have the means to eat breakfast. I know they're doing it. Their thinking is around that. It's like it's a way to support kids eating. But, okay, if that's your thinking, why are you giving them gummy bears and, like, and like pirate booty? Like, why is that the food you're choosing to give them? Like, let's be a little bit more conscientious about the food choices we're giving them. And then they do this thing that's called like the, the, the no thank you table. And so it's every kid who's getting like a, a cafeteria lunch can grab whatever's on their tray. They all get the same things. And then, and then on their tray, they, um, they, get, they get to remove whatever they don't want. So a lot of kids will put their vegetables or their apple or their yogurt. They'll put that on a table. And then any kid can just go grab that food. And it's, but it's all crap. It's like, it's like the flavored, you know, sugary yogurts. It's like the chocolate milks. And I'm just like, like my, how do I get my one year, my, not my, my first grader, who's totally, you know, impressionable. How do I teach her to not grab that chocolate milk when I'm not there? Of course they're going to grab it. Of course they're going to grab the yogurt you know what i mean like they're going to grab anything that you're not including in your home at that age because they see everyone else doing it and they it's sweet and it's triggering all the you know the, the the things in their brain that are addictive and and attractive to um getting people hooked on certain foods so honestly like that's the bane of our existence right now and i'm always kind of like well how do i lay the groundwork to make it so that my kid makes informed choices like that they're empowered to make whatever choice they're going to make but all i want them to do is i just want them to be aware of how it makes them feel so i'm not telling them to not do those choices i'm just saying okay if you want to eat that ice cream not go for it or if you want to have that cookie but just be in your body as you do it don't check out because honestly that's what most of us are doing when we're when we're involved in our food stuff you know what i mean like like we're emotionally eating, it's, it's cause we're checking out, we're either using the food to check out or we're checking out as we eat the food. You know, we're, I say we're using the food to check us out because we're, we're overeating so much so that we can feel something physically. We can feel the sickness or we're, you know, we're binging we're we're purging, we're doing all these things so that we can feel something physically. And so we're using the food to feel or to not feel.
1: I mean, that could go deep into way other conversations. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
2: um,
1: I'm not gonna tap into that.
2: Do you love I'm, that the I'm, topic of this was organ meat and we've gone?
1: So I know, long. right? Oh my gosh, this is. I <laughs> so I do want to say you know we're hitting the hour and a half mark, and I actually think we're probably gonna have to have you on for a second episode, just because. This was already so informative and I'm wondering if it makes sense to talk about some practical things. Um,
0: on another episode.
1: On another episode. Yeah. Like totally. I would love to know what you cook for your family or yeah, maybe like as it coming from a chef, like what are some good kitchen hacks? Um, things like that. I don't know. Corey, what do you think?
0: You mean in regards to another episode yes i think yes.
2: (laughs) yeah let's let's do a part two let's do a part two and and i look forward to that because because you know i don't want to leave anyone with the impression that when i was saying like oh i'm trying to move away from being like a foodie and putting so much emphasis on food i i want to i want to like be clear like i don't mean that that food that i'm eating is bland like i am very much like i'm still like all about flavor and making sure that the food I'm eating is quality. I'm just like, I'm just kind of not, um, I'm not indulging as much as I would if I were throwing a party, you know what I mean? Like when, if I was throwing a party for a group of people, I would take, I would cook all day. Like, Oh, just the other day we had some friends over and I, and I, and I like slow cook these ribs for like hours, like 14 hours. And then I flashed, you know, grilled them. So they were crispy and I marinated them. Like I did all this stuff with so much love. And I love doing that. That's what food is for me. It's, it's a way for me to convey love and how I feel for people. So I definitely do that. I just, in my everyday stuff, I'm trying to move away from that because it's not as practical. It's not as, yeah, it's just not as practical and it's, and it, and I, it's kind of like, I've been doing that for so long. I've put, been putting so much emphasis on food for so long. I just want to experiment, experiment with like not putting that emphasis. I just want to try it something different because uh, I just, I feel like sometimes, and maybe this is a good place to stop, but I feel like, I feel like food is becoming for the wealthy like food is we're so indulgent with us with it in the u.s and i feel like it is causing like this this kind of space between like those that don't have as much money and those that do and everyone that does is so into their health and you know on so and so diet and then there's people that that most of the people like 99 percent of the people are just like do i have enough money to just make it to my next meal and that just that's just destroys me because this entire planet is just this empty thing. Like, like it was here before us and everything in society is something we have created. So if someone is hungry or is without, it's because we created it. It's not like life just is this way. It's like society is, we have formed this society because it was a blank slate. It was a blank canvas before the first human was here, right? It, it was just, it was just, it was what it was. And so all these kind of societal norms, these are things that we've created and instilled in the next generation. And they just keep getting passed down and passed down this emphasis on money, this emphasis on how the cost of things. And I don't know, economics, all this stuff. It's just awesome. It's all, it's all not real.
1: Have, have you read Sapiens?
2: Oh, I, I think I did listen to that one. I, I do a lot of listening on
1: audio. Yeah. yeah audio um, biology enables and culture restraints.
2: Yes. So good. That's
1: essentially the, the gist of what you just said.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I want to bridge that gap. I just, I want to make food more accessible for people and, and, and kind of just help people get, help make health easy instead of this laborious, kind of like time consuming, like, like expensive thing, I just want to make it easier for people. And, you know, and, and, and I know our definitions of health are all different, you know, so obviously, what I think is healthy may not be what someone else thinks is healthy. So, you know, clearly, you're never going to get everyone on the same page. But, you know, that's my hope is to just try to make it easier and more accessible.
1: But you also don't want everyone on the same
0: page because we're all bio-individuals.
1: Yes,
2: there you go.
0: <laughs> I did actually all want right. to say one more thing on the bio-individuality thing. I think that it's important that people in our space recognize that just because something has worked for you or is working for you right now, or you know, in the past or right now, doesn't mean that it will continually be the same thing forever totally our bodies are also going to change and evolve within themselves and um yeah so that that's the same sort of idea but it applies to us directly
2: i'm so glad you said that because that is so important and I, i i know we're trying to get off but i just if i may add like I see that a lot. I see people like self diagnosing and being like, Oh, well, I don't do well with eggs. So I guess I'll stop eating eggs forever. And it's like, I mean, I have a cousin who hasn't had an egg in 15 years. And I'm like, um, you know, if you just work with someone who actually focuses on it, like a nutritionist or something, or someone who have fo- focused on this, you might, you, they could probably test you specifically And a lot of this stuff you can solve within three to six months. Like you don't have to live with something forever. Now, I know that's not always true, but it's true most of the time. If you're not thriving right now, you can, Mm -hmm. like you really can. And whatever condition you have right now, does not have to be stagnant. Like you just said, it doesn't, it's not going to be forever as long as you get support. Like if you just keep kind of thinking that you have all the answers and you're going to figure it all out, it's like, well, A, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself, but B, there's lots of people out there that know way more than me or you or any. you know, everyone, there's just people that together have figured out a lot more than I have. And so I'm always like, A, focus on the food. Like, first thing I would do is like, if you're starting to feel ill, if you see kind of, I call it the smoke, don't wait for a fire, just find the smoke that's going on. So like, if you have skin rashes, if your hair is thinning, if you... Have trouble sleeping? Like first thing I do is I look at what am I eating. Next thing I do is look at my environment. And then if I can't figure out, if I try to deduce that and I can't solve it in within a few days, then I reach out to an expert and I'm like, "Hey, I need support." Your wife? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was gonna say, does
1: she does she work on you? I mean, she's like not just any NTP. She's like a really badass NTP.
2: She's so good. (laughs) Um, you know,
1: I she, didn't know that she was the one of the founders and creators of the Restorative Wellness Solutions. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, she's
2: you. now the she's now the owner. Uh, Anne is retired from it, so, so yeah.
1: So I mean, I like dream. I want to take those classes so badly.
2: They are so good. Uh, I don't. I don't mean to. I know. I, I don't mean to like bring her that in, but it, it they I really are. The, yeah. Like I, I have to say, like for those that don't know, so Restorative Wellness Solutions is what Christine's talking about, and. I, so it's basically a nutritionist. It's like an NTP. Like they go to like a school like that. And then a functional nutritionist goes to like a restorative wellness solutions kind of uh, practice. And what's so fascinating is I saw Margaret as a nutritionist and then I saw her become a functional nutritionist and it's night and day. Like she was doing muscle testing. She was doing, she could only do so much as a nutritionist. And it wasn't until she started like learning how to do tests and digging deeper, like lear- the learnings that they got, she got from to wellness, did I see her really start helping people like it was like surface to then truly sick people like she she now helps people that are that are that doctors can't figure out she helps people that are seen as when she does her thing. They they think she's done. She's a miracle worker. She's like, well, no, I just do this. But it's the things that she's solving are what people see as miracles because no one else could figure it out. So it is. Restorative wellness solutions is amazing. Yeah. So that's, I'm sorry I did a that was kind a plug.
1: No, no no. I I'm really glad that you did plug it because that's where I'm at right now. I think with my career, where I'm just like on the surface, and I know that if I want to get deeper, I'm going to have to take. I I mean, that it's on my. It's on my dream list of
2: courses yeah, that I want I, to take, to be honest. Every person that I've met that – and I've worked with a lot of – I even – I worked with a psychic nutritionist back in the day. Like, I, I mean, as a chef. Like, I've, I've worked with so many different types of health practitioners over the years. And um, every restorative wellness solutions practitioner – so the people that actually go to the school and are practicing are phenomenal. Like, I, I would recommend any of them to anyone. Cause they're, they're really good. Can you see my daughter?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's hiding. Yeah. James, right. we, before we leave, can you please share with us where our guests can connect with you? Well,
0: wait a minute. We're going to give him oh, like a ahead. hot second to talk about pluck.
2: Oh gosh. Right. Oh my
1: gosh. You're so right
0: never mind sorry
1: sorry didn't mean to cut you off
2: oh geez yeah um okay so um,
0: yeah
2: so pluck is an organ-based seasoning it's a freeze-dried powdered organ base from 100% cow uh organs it's it's paired with organic spices and herbs so basically we're offsetting the taste of that organs that we talked about earlier in the podcast and um, what it is, is it's a completely no different than any spice in your sh- in your spice jar. It's just it's shelf stable. It's dry. It's like you sprinkle it on just like any seasoning. And it just elevates the flavors that are in the food. But then it also gives you micro dosing of the nutrients. And so the way I look at pluck is it's never going to be as, you know, as nutritious as eating like the whole liver, you know, the raw whole liver, because that's a 100% product. But the problem is is most of us aren't doing that so my whole thing is like well pluck is the gateway let's get you started let's let's make it so it's an everyday or as much as possible thing so you're getting that micro dosing plus frequent use equals a cumulative effect and then don't stop there you know then eventually get more stuff into your diet more organs but you can find pluck if you want to take that dive and just start getting organ meats into your diet, you can find us at eatpluck.com. And you'll find us on social media at eatpluck. Uh, and then you'll find me at Chef James Berry. and that's Berry with an A. And um, there's lots of recipes. Uh, we have a recipe actually from Ashley's uh, It Takes Guts book on there for beef heart jerky. And it's so good. She did that cookbook is yeah. phenomenal. Um, but uh, we have tons of recipes on the site, really good stuff. And, you know, my whole thing is like organ meats can save the world. It will help us make feel better. And then we start treating other people better. So let's just start getting getting them in the diet, you know, any way we can. And Pluck is definitely the easiest and simplest way to do it.
0: Perfect. All righty. <laughs> we will work on getting you back on for totally. another episode. <laughs>
2: It's fun. I mean, I feel like I could just talk and talk with you guys. All we could just go everywhere, you know. Like I just love talking to you both. So
1: I know this me. is actually really cool. We got way deeper <laughs> than I thought we were going to. <laughs> so I love it.
2: Uh, see episode twenty three. <laughs> <go.
1: laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you're so right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you manifested it. <laughs> um, so we actually want to send people back to our Halloween episode, which happens to be our very first episode we ever did. And we talk about Halloween and how to handle Halloween candy and what Corey and I do with our families. And, um, which might surprise wanna... you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Shocker. Um, we want to encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you are curious. Anything else? James, you want to any last thoughts or
2: Oh, geez. I know. I feel like I've done so much talking. It's just been a pleasure, you know, and I, and I, I would just say, let let me leave you with just honor yourself. Like wherever you are in your process, I I honor you and I hope you are honoring you. And I just respect if you're listening to this podcast, then that means you are already taking huge steps towards just feeling like you're part of a community, getting help, getting, feeling supported. So I just give you kudos for that because, um, it it how we show up is everything to me it's 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 eighty five percent of the work it's just showing up, so kudos to everyone that's listening and and it's on the journey with Corey and Christine so <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you guys for listening, James. thank you so much for coming on, and we will see everybody or talk to everybody next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at nourishthelittles and online at nourishthelittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at fornutrientsake and online at fornutrientsake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas.
1: information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.